Well, good morning. It is my honor and privilege to invite you to point your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, there is one provided for you in the pew in front of you. And uh, if you grab one of the black ones, Exodus 20 is found on page 61. If you're new to the Bible, the chapter numbers are the big numbers. The verse numbers are the little numbers. Exodus chapter 20. We are on the third commandment of our series in the Ten Commandments. And to uh, start us off today, I'm going to read all of the Ten Commandments. That's Exodus 21 through 17. I'm going to ask for the Lord's help on our time together in His Word. And then we will work our way through verse 7. We'll spend most of our time in Exodus 20, verse 7. So let's go ahead and read and uh, get to work. Exodus chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. And God spoke these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Let's pray. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. O Lord, fill us. Give us a thirsting and a hunger for righteousness, 
that our lives, our words, the affections of our heart would bring glory to your Son as we honor your name. Teach us what it means, this, the third commandment. And do this for Jesus' sake, we ask. Amen. Well, it turns out that young Juliet was wrong. Names do matter. What's in a name, she asked. That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. So Romeo would, were he not Romeo called, retain that dear perfection which he owes without the title. The ill-fated hero and heroine of Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet learned that names mean more than just the simple letters that we string together to make those names. They learned that names carry meaning. Names speak to reputation of a person. And this is why in the years following World War II, no one named their sons Adolf. And I wonder if the same might be true in Russia the years to come if no one gets named Vladimir. The apostles had strange names, and yet you are more likely to bump into a fella named Thaddeus or Bartholomew than you are to bump into one named Judas. Because names matter. I've had to learn this personally. Many of you know my given name is Jeremiah. Most everyone knows me by Jamie. And this is uh, somewhat amusing when I tell people this. However, I have learned that amusement isn't the exact response that I get from some people, namely those in U.S. Customs, for example, or the BMV for another. Uh, If some of your paperwork says Jeremiah and some of your paperwork says Jamie, this displeases them. And it turns out if someone tells you a car and puts the name Jamie Wellman on the title and then you go and present your license which says Jeremiah Wellman, you're going to have a long day, as it turns out, because names matter. The third commandment in the Ten Commandments is about a name, about God's name. God cares about His name, and God cares about His name, as we will see, less because of the actual characters which make up God's name, but more about the character that is represented by God's name. So God cares less about the pronunciation of His name than He does about the reputation of His name. The third commandment, properly spoken, is do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And the photo negative of that commandment appears in the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be your name. And so that is the main idea this morning. Hallow the name of God with your words and with your life. Hallow the name of the Lord with your words and with your life. And we'll explore this 
as we go along. The structure of my message follows the same structure I've done for the first two commandments. We'll look at the third commandment explained, and then we'll look at the third commandment broken, and then we'll see the third commandment fulfilled, the third commandment explained, the third commandment broken, and the third commandment kept or fulfilled. So let's go back to Exodus chapter 20, and let's read verse 7 one more time, the first section there, the third commandment proper. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So, don't use God's name as a cuss word. Check. Next. Well, you've learned in the first two commandments. There's a little bit more to it than that. In the Bible, names are extremely important. A name identifies someone, but a name also identifies something about that person. Their purpose or their reputation or something that they've done. So you remember the name Abram, which means Uh, exalted father, was changed by God to Abraham, which means father of a multitude, because of God's purpose for Abraham. When the twins, Jacob and Esau, were being born, Jacob came out of the womb holding on to the heel of his older brother. And so they called his name Jacob, which means he takes by the heel, or he is a supplanter, or he is a cheater. And this was a foreshadowing, because later in his life, that's what he would do. And when he did, his brother Esau remarked, is he not rightly named Jacob? For those of you who were with us during our series in 1 Samuel, you'll remember there was a time in the ministry of King David when a woman came to him and pleaded with him for the life of her husband who was a fool. She tells David, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. The name Nabal means fool. So I guess homeboy is just living up to his name, leaving us all with many questions for his parents. But of course, of course, the most important name reflecting purpose in the Bible was the angel's declaration to Joseph when the angel said, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And the name Jesus, or Yeshua, means the Lord saves. The third commandment forbids the taking of the name of the Lord in vain. Now, you remember from just a couple of weeks ago, I told you that in your Bible, anytime you see the letters L-O-R-D in all capital, it is the divine personal name of God, which we pronounce in English as Yahweh. And this L-O-R-D, Yahweh, appears almost 7,000 times in your Bible. It is the name that the Lord gave to Moses when he revealed himself in the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. It means, I am that I am. The one who is. means that he is ultimate Reality, he is the self-existent one. 
the, self, the self-sufficient one, the one who is without beginning and without end, the one who is without becoming, the one who is without evolving. He depends on no one. He depends on nothing. All that is depends on him. Nothing is or will be without his willing it to be. He is primary and everything else is secondary. He is the constant, the unchanging, the truest truth, the final truth. He does what he pleases and what he pleases is right. He is most important, most significant, most substantial, most valuable, most beautiful, most good. He is the center. He is the sun and everything else is planets. He is weight itself. You know, the sun in our solar system accounts for something like 99.8 plus percent of all of the mass in our solar system. That's like God. He has all the mass and more. God's name is reflective of God's character, God's reputation. In the Bible, God's name and God's character are often woven together. And so, keep your finger in Exodus 20, and I would ask you to move forward just a few chapters to Exodus chapter 33, where we are going to see how the name of God and the character and nature of God are woven together by God. Exodus chapter 33, beginning at verse 18, Moses said to God, please show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And look at this, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, the I am, Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Now skip ahead to chapter 34, beginning at verse 5. Exodus 34, verse 5. The Lord descended in in the cloud and stood with Moses there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord. The Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Here we see God's relationship between himself and his Name, God's name is connected to his character and his reputation. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. God cares deeply for his name because it points to his reputation. It points to his glory on the earth. And for this reason, over and over and over in the Bible, you see God acting for the sake of his name. God's name, God's praise, God's glory, all connected in God's mind. So so just listen for a second to a sampling of the ways the Bible speaks to God's own actions being done for the sake of his name. Isaiah 48, 
9 and 11, God himself says, For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. How should my name be profaned? My glory, I will not give to another. Four times in Ezekiel 20 and once in Ezekiel 36, God says, I acted for the sake of my name. Psalm 106.21, save them for his name's sake that he might make known his mighty power. 1 Samuel 12.22, the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. Psalm 23.3, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 1 John 2.12, your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Romans 1.5, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of the faith, faith for the sake of his name among the nations. God even raises up his own enemies for the sake of his name. The Lord told Pharaoh in Exodus 9, but for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. And if you're willing to accept it, even suffering of God's own people is for the sake of his name. Acts 9.16, the Lord said, I will show Paul how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And when the apostles were persecuted, Luke says that they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor. For the name. Acts 5.41. And Paul himself said, I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Acts 21.13. You see, so it is that the salvation and the sanctification and the direction and provision and the protection, and the preservation, and yes, even the persecution of God's own people are God's actions being done for the sake of God's name. All that God does, He does for the glory of His name. So take all of that, all that you've heard that God does for the sake of His name, and now go back to Exodus chapter 20, Verse 7, and let's look again at the third commandment. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So what does that mean? The answer to what that means is there in the phrase, in vain. In Hebrew, that phrase in vain means to take, to take something and to empty it of its value. To empty something of its worth, of its weight. It is to treat something as worthless, inconsequential. And if God's name represents the totality of all that he is, his character and his attributes, his grace, his mercy, his holiness, 
And if he does so much for the sake of that name, then to take God's name in vain means to treat him as worthless. It means to speak or to act in such a way that would empty God of his weight. To treat God and the things of God and the name of God lightly, trivially, as inconsequential, as insignificant. And so, yes, you break the third commandment when you use God's name as a profanity, when you smash your hand with a hammer. But the third commandment is much more than this. The third commandment forbids the speaking and the acting and the thinking and the feeling in any way which empties God of his value and worth. And so if you're taking notes, there's your definition. That is the explanation of the third commandment. The third commandment forbids speaking, acting, thinking, or feeling in any way that would devalue God in his worth, any way that would empty him of his weightiness. So that's the definition of the third commandment. So let's press on and let's find out all the ways, some of the ways at least, that the, the third commandment is broken in our day and in our lives. Or maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> no, we should. We break the third commandment, as I said, when we speak or act or think or feel in any way that is unfitting of God's value and worth. We, anything we do, words, actions, thoughts, affections that are mismatched with who God is and the true weight that he is. And I do like thinking about it in terms of weight. Because as I said, the sun is the most significant thing in our solar system. 99.8 plus percent of the mass of our solar system is the sun. And God is much more than that in our life. And so to treat the sun as inconsequential is to misunderstand the whole point of the solar system, right? Well, the same thing is true of God. To displace God is to break the third commandment. So let's start with our words. Our words, our actions, our thoughts, our feelings. Let's start with words. You're not going to like this. Anytime we speak God's name carelessly, anytime we invoke the name of God in service of frivolity, we break the third commandment. So speaking God's name flippantly, carelessly, in shock or anger, is to break the third commandment. So this includes profanities and the OMGs, but it also includes the good Lord Almighty's, and what in God's names 
By that definition, if we're right about that, it might also even include our God blesses if we mean them meaninglessly, meaninglessly or, as, or jokingly. Joking in lightheartedness about God and about the name of God and the character of God, it's, it's just wrong. Our Lord is not a punchline. And to use Him in this way is to devalue Him. It is irreverent. Would you make a joke about Sandy Hook? Or Uvalde? It is shameful to speak of serious, weighty, sobering things with light-heartedness. But have we come, become so comfortable with using God's name that we're, we don't even think about it, use it lightly? I'm not trying to be a killjoy. God is the source of all joy. I like fun and I love jokes and as much as anyone. Humor has its place. I think it's even biblical. But we must not forget that this is God we are speaking of. Who he is demands our highest reverence, our greatest honor, the most amount of space, and the greatest recognition of that of weight. Another way we break the third commandment is when we break oaths. The Lord condemned the Pharisees when they swore by lesser weighty objects, objects in an effort to lessen the seriousness of breaking the oath. So, <clears throat> this is Matthew 23, they would swear by the temple of God, or they would swear by the gold in the temple of God so that they wouldn't have to swear by God himself. And Jesus comes along and says, that doesn't change anything. He says, whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And on the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord taught us that we don't need to attach anything to what we commit to in order to add weight to it anyway. How did Jesus put it? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything else other than this is evil. We break the third commandment when we break commitments. Another way we break the third commandment with words is when we attach God's name to something which God has not attached His name to. To attach God's name to our ideas and plans and opinions in order to advance our own agenda because we think it's a way to add authority is a very serious thing. Because in attaching God's own reputation to our success or to the rightness of our thing, is what if it doesn't happen this way? What if we're wrong? 
Well, then we've attached God's reputation to something that is not true, even something that could be a lie. And so we ought to be very wary of using the word Christian as an adjective rather than a noun. The phrase, God told me, is a very weighty thing. If the words God said to me are not followed by the words of Scripture, I don't think they should be said that way. You could ascribe the name of God to something false. Besides, God's name is not a trump card to get something that you want. Like God told me to do this, who are you to tell me otherwise? Instead, we ought to say something more along the lines of, well, it seems to me that the Lord may be opening a door, or it seems to me that it's wisdom to do this, or the Lord has laid, or I feel a burden for Cambodia, and it could be that the Lord is leading me there. We ought to be careful with the phrase, God told me. One more way that we break the third commandment with words. This one is particular to those of us who have been appointed to teach the Bible. We break the third commandment when we speak about God in a way that is not true of God. So James chapter 3 verse 1 comes to mind. James says, not many of you should be teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness because we're misrepresenting God teach something about him that isn't true. And as we should all be good Bible students, but those of us appointed to teach in Sunday school and from the pulpit, we should be doubly good students. To make sure that what we're saying in our messages and what we're teaching about God is actually from the Scriptures. And when we're not sure, to humble ourselves and say, I'm not sure. We take the name of the Lord in vain when we treat God and the things of God as worthless. And we do this not just with our words. We can also do this with our actions. We can also do this with our actions. We consider ourselves Christians, right? Christ-ians. We carry the name of Christ. Much in the same way that a bride takes her husband's name when she marries him. She takes his reputation. We Christians take on the name of Christ. and We carry on his reputation. 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. And so this is why in Scripture you hear all the time, Ephesians 4.1, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you were called. And Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God, walk in love as Christ loved. And Jesus Himself, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And if you remember from when we were back in Luke 6, some months ago, Jesus said, 
Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I tell you? Because in Jesus' mind, Jesus' expectation, calling him Lord and doing what he says is only natural. That's what it means for him to be the Lord. Which is all to say that hypocrisy breaks the third commandment. It is to identify with God's name, but not with God's character. And it is a form of defamation. God's people are to be God's representatives on the earth. And we must not treat lightly the reputation of Christ whose name we carry. We take his name. And when we refuse to be conformed to his character, we take his name in vain. Even your non-believing co-workers, family, and friends know this about you, dear Christian. Don't they? They have some expectation that as a Christian, you're going to act a certain way. They're, they may be biblically illiterate, but they know that. And hardly anything worse could be said of my life if a non-believer came and said, I thought you were a Christian. Finally, we break the third commandment when we fail to give God the proper place in our hearts and our mind. When we do not give God the greatest attention, when something else in our life becomes more important to us than God, we communicate that He is optional, that He is discretionary, that we find him less interesting than this other thing. And that God needs to compete against other things for our attention and our affection. When God is not our highest delight, we saw this in the first commandment, something else is. Nature abhors a vacuum. It is no different in the human heart. There will be something taking center stage in our lives. And when God has been displaced in the affectional arena of our hearts, we're telling Him that something outweighs Him in importance and in satisfaction. And in so doing, we empty Him of the value He deserves. Name. In vain. And so, once again, three commandments in, we see that these ten commandments are far wider reaching than they appear at first. And you can see on the screen, the second half of the third commandment is, well, it's devastating. The Lord will not hold him guiltless. He takes his name in vain. The Lord sees the heart. The Lord knows our ways. The Lord hears our thoughts. And He hears our words. And you may be able to fool me. I'm rather gullible. I'm an optimist by nature, and if you tell me that this something is true, I'm going to believe you. reason not to. So you can... You can 
fool me. You can live a double life. But God is not fooled. The Lord knows all the ways that you have broken the third commandment. And after all that God does for the sake of his name, do you expect that he will act carelessly toward those who take his name in vain? He will not. To treat as worthless that which is of infinite worth is a grievous sin. And it applies to everyone in this room. Christian and non-Christian alike. And if you're a guest with us here today, I'm, I'm really glad you're here. Maybe you consider yourself a Christian because you believe in God. I'm glad you do. But you would do well to consider what I quoted from Jesus just a few minutes ago. This is Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? If you claim to be a Christian and choose to live your life however you want, then, friend, I just have to say, you should have no reason to think you are a Christian. Well, maybe you're here, and maybe you're a little bit more honest about that. You wouldn't call yourself a Christian, but you consider yourself a good person. And by many standards, no doubt you are a good person. But if you have not valued your Creator in the way He deserves to be valued, he knows. You are hiding nothing from him. And it is not those standards that matter. It's his standard that matters. And I would ask you to consider only this, that if God of the Bible, the creator of the universe, is of infinite value and worth, and if standard, what is right and what is good is ascribing to him the value and the worth that only he deserved, then treating God as optional or as elective or treating him as if he's like an insurance company that has to compete for your business, that's not good. That might be the most wrong thing. And that would mean that you're not a good person. But something else. And because who God is, He's also just. And He will act justly. Sin. And so listen carefully what comes next. Because, and this, this may surprise you, but your clear guilt in breaking the third commandment is actually what brings us to our final point. The third commandment, fulfilled. The name of God represents his reputation, speaks to his worth and value and his weightiness. And we see in the life of the Lord Jesus, he kept the third commandment perfectly. Everything that Jesus did, he did for the glory of his Father. 
Chapter 13 tells us that God is glorified in Jesus, and God brings glory to himself through the life of Jesus. That everything that Jesus did, he did for the pleasure of his Father. He told his disciples, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, and the words that I speak to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. We've already established All that God does, he does to bring praise to his name. And so this God who does this, who's been working for the foundation of the world for the sake of his name, works in and through Christ, glory to his name. So the life and the death of Jesus Christ perfectly showed the value and worth of God. In Christ, the name of God, the reputation of God took on flesh. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the Word of God made flesh. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, came down from heaven. And God's grace became tangible. His faithfulness became embodied. God's love was given hands and feet in the person of Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the third commandment. Everything he communicated about God was true of God. 1 Peter 2.22, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. We've all broken the third commandment. And for the glory of God's name, Jesus Christ was sent on a rescue mission. He went to the cross. He paid the debt of our sin. And we are here because the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. It is true, Exodus 20, verse 7, the Lord will not hold guiltless who takes his name in vain. 2,000 years ago, God laid that guilt on his own son. Church, you, you have been pardoned of your guilt for breaking the third commandment because that guilt was laid on God's son. His death, for God's sake, For the sake of God's name, to uphold God as both just and the justifier of the ungodly, proves the worth and value of God. So sinner, turn to Jesus Christ today. Confess your sins, admit your need for God's mercy over your life. You are guilty before a holy God. But through Jesus Christ, you can be forgiven of your your sins. Today is the day to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Before you leave this place, find a Christian in this room. Tell them that you would like to have your sins forgiven. They'll begin meeting with you and telling you more about how that can be true of you through Jesus Christ. Jesus kept the third commandment in our place. He bore our guilt, our breaking of the third commandment. And having been united to him, 
in faith, you no longer bear the guilt of that sin or for any sin. But more than that, you, dear Christian, were filled with the Spirit of God who is enabling you to give God the right honor and glory that He deserves in your life. By the power of God, the Holy Spirit, you can keep the third commandment. The third commandment, as I said earlier, is summed up by the first words in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. The hallowing of God's name is the essence of the third commandment. It means to revere God, to treat God as He deserves to be treated, to give Him the place He rightly deserves in your life. We keep the third commandment by believing in God's Son. Jesus told us that this is the work of God. You want to know what God's doing? This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. John 6, 29. You keep the third commandment by believing in God the Son. What does the Bible teach? It's one of the first and primary acts of obedience once a person becomes a Christian. What do they do? They get baptized. And what do we say in baptism? Matthew chapter 28. You're baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So, Christian, you have taken on the name of Christ, the Holy One of God. The exact same way that a bride takes her husband's name, you bear the name of Christ. And you keep the third. And when you hallow that name by believing in God's Son, by becoming Paul put it like this, Colossians 3, chapter 17, which I think every Christian should have memorized. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through Whatever you do, word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father. Through him. This is what it means to hallow God's name, to do everything. All your words, all your actions, all your thoughts, all your affections, done for his sake, for the glory of his name, giving thanks to the Father through him. Suffer nothing in your heart above your heavenly Father. Give Him the place He deserves. Revere Him. Love Him. Trust Him. Treasure Him. Satisfy your heart in Him. Speak of Him rightly in a way that rightly reflects His value and His worth, His weight. It's in a name, young Juliet asks, well, now you know. Hallow the name of the Lord with your words, and with your life. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thumb and the center of all that matters. You are infinitely glorious and matchless and majestic. You are the author of all, the creator of all, the sustainer of all. In you we live and move and have our being. And who are we that you would be mindful of us, that you would set your love upon us? For we confess, Father, that we have treated your name, which is of infinite value, as worthless. We've made you the butt of our jokes. An expletive in our mouths. Forgive us. Forgive us for having treated Jesus as if he were useful. We've taken your name in vain. Please forgive us. And Lord, for your own sake, be merciful to us. Forgive us for breaking the third commandment with our words and actions, affections. And restore us once again. Grant us by your spirit the joy to keep the third commandment. To carry Christ's name proudly, boldly, and with humility. Thank you for revealing our sin. Sending us to our Savior. And setting us free. May the name of Jesus be a praise in this church. In the lives of these people and in all the earth, until he comes. Amen. Please stand to your feet for the assurance of pardon. Your assurance of pardon today comes from Psalm chapter 25, verse 11, where we read, For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great.